Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. to the Media Roundtable, we're talking to leading podcasters and creators about the shows they create, why they create them, and the impact that they have on the world around them. So look, whether you're a listener or a member of the advertising community, you're going to be able to better understand the content that's out there and feel good about what you consume and what you support. I'm your host, Dan Granger, and today we're joined by Lindsey Graham. And no, not that Lindsey Graham. This is the Lindsey Graham podcast producer phenom who has taken the world by storm with webby award-winning shows like american scandal american history tellers business movers american elections wicked game and he's also a driving force behind hits you may have heard of like dirty john dr death and many others so welcome to the show Lindsay. so glad that you're here well thank you for having me it's a pleasure So you've gotten to touch this industry from so many different sides. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about your background before you got into podcasting? Sure. Most of it has absolutely nothing to do with podcasting. So um, I have an undergraduate degree in business. I have a a MBA in marketing, and I did those kind of things as as you do. Um, I worked mostly in, in the nonprofit space for the bulk of my career, but also in insurance and some other places. The podcasting career came as as uh, somewhat of an accident. I've always been, however, um, deeply attracted to audio. I'm a I'm a musician. I'm a composer. I've done a, a bunch of uh, sound for TV and short films and things like that. Uh, uh, mostly local stuff. And I suppose if I had my my druthers, my perfect career would be like a, a record producer. So I've always been a, kind of behind the microphone in a certain way, uh, certainly twiddling knobs. And I had this little studio that I'm talking to you now from. And in a, in a moment, well, I, the short answer is I got fired from an insurance company, uh, and that's fine because uh, I hated it. And I went home to my wife and said, you know what, um, we're at this place, we have two, two incomes, let's, let's, let me try and make audio a career. And uh, the the very condensed version is um, I almost did (laughs) because I came out with a a podcast, an audio drama called Terms, and it uh, attracted the attention of Wondery. At the time, this is 2016, uh, Wondery uh, was was much more involved in... Yeah, yeah, very early on in their uh, their trajectory, and back then, uh, Hernan Lopez, CEO, really wanted to see scripted podcasts, fictional podcasts, become a thing, and and I had one, and they uh, they uh, distributed it and uh, published it, and it didn't it didn't do that well. Uh, so everyone liked it, but it just didn't get the screaming audience numbers that was necessary for for its continuing. So after a while, I found myself in my early audio career ending. Yeah, I just went back to the workforce. Mm, mm. And it was a great experiment until a few months after that, Hernan called me up out of the blue and asked if, uh, if, if I could read and write ads for this new show he's got coming called Dirty John. The reason for that was because the, uh, the host of Dirty John's a journalist and he was, you know, he can't, uh, endorse products. And Hernan really liked the way I wrote and read ads on terms. Uh, so it was just a, a bolt of lightning out of the blue. And in the same phone call, he asked if I would like to, um, host and sound design a new history podcast he's thinking of called American History Tellers. So I said yes to both of those things and my, podcast career really began. So uh, on January 3rd, 2018, History Tellers debuted and it hit number one on the iTunes charts within you know days. And uh, it hasn't been the same for me since. So you've become nearly synonymous with the nonfiction subject matter. Is that by accident or is that something about who you are and who you've always been that's drawn you to that? 
Um, yeah, the answer to that is yes. I mean, I've always been interested in um, in nonfiction because it's it's an ex- exploration of our real world, right? We have real problems in this real world that need real solutions, and many of them are anchored in in the past, in history. Things that we uh, the the lessons we seek are 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 available to us. But it was also the job that was offered to me. I mean, being frank, uh, that that was the place that I started. It suited me, though, and uh, and I've, you know, I started in the the history space with history tellers, and then kind of moved adjacent to American Scandal, which is more history, but kind of a little more salacious. And mm-hmm. and then we went into political history with Wicked Game, and now we're into business history with with business movers. So it's all all of a piece, but different different views and uh, of of the same thing. But it is all nonfiction except for the scripted stuff I do. But even then, 1865, for instance, is is a historical you know, fiction. Uh, so it's rooted in, in, in fact as well. Uh, yeah, I don't I like the space. Um, because even though it's even though it's true, even though it's real, even though you could pick up a book and read these facts, many, many people don't know them. And they certainly don't know the context, because I think telling the story of them is much more evocative and educational than perhaps what they got in in high school or college. I'm with you. I actually, uh, before getting into radio, I worked for a uh, <clears throat> history channel documentary company. Uh, and I just, I love all the content that you do. And it, it's so cool that um, you got your start really with Hernan. Hernan was our first guest officially on this podcast. And he's been a very good friend to our agency, Oxford Road, over the years. So uh, very, very good guy. Um, so so as you're making this type of content, um, you've really had an evolving role in it. I mean, I, I can't, you didn't go to any kind of voice training school or anything like that, but you've really become a name and a brand behind a lot of these things. H- how has that progressed? Yeah. No, in terms of classical training, I have none. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I don't have a theater background. I, I, I didn't go to audio engineering school. I mean, I've, it's all just feet first, you know, do it. And I was terrified at, at, in the beginning. Uh, Hernan made a, a horrible gamble with me. He just knew I could do it, I, uh, uh, more so than I thought of myself. And so how have I progressed? Uh, I think I, I've just learned on the job. Um, I do have, I think, a good ear. Uh, you know that that I brought with me, so I know if I screw up, I know it. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and I probably also know how to fix it. Yeah, I do have that skill in that I'm always critically listening, even in the midst of my sentences and my narration. And I brought with it, you know, uh, that sort of sound designy uh, composer producer mindset to the whole thing, and you know, which is good because podcast is an audio medium, and uh, I, I have that skill set. Um, but no, I, w- I was shaking in my boots the first couple of times I had to narrate or, or especially these reenactments that are in my show. So, you know, I have to I have to yeah, you're acting these. too. you're Abraham Lincoln. You're like all these different <laughs> people. It's like, what a t- what a burden. <laughs> no, sometimes I'm I'm Susan B. Anthony, sometimes yeah. a four year old <laughs> child. Uh, and, you know, I don't affect accents or, or really try too hard to sound like these characters. I, th- I think that would be a mistake. But yeah, it was uh, it was something new for me. That's for sure. Well, it's kind of funny. So one of my fa- my favorite more recent movies is uh, The Death of Stalin, which is uh, loosely based on historical events. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what was really interesting is they've got British actors. They've got American actors. Nobody's doing a, a Russian accent the whole right. time. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't take anything away from it. I don't know if people ever realize that you could pull that off uh, if you go back a few decades uh, but it seems to make it uh, somehow more natural even though that might be counterintuitive well they, they, they <laughs> it was a joke at the time but they did it with Robin Hood you know um, Costner didn't it just it didn't came bother up, you know, yeah he didn't bother not, yeah but they didn't like that when he did it that was like an early prototype of the model yeah. it's, it seems like it's gotten more effectively uh, delivered since then. So, so let's talk about, you know, what, what we're trying to do um, with the evolution of this program is, you know, get a little bit more into helping people understand what your content's about, but also like why and what is the impact. So when you look back on your body of work so far, and I know in some ways you're just getting started, but what work are you most proud of that you've been able to work on and, and why are you proud of it? 
That's really hard to answer. I mean, because at any one moment I'm in the midst of something new, or or but, um, all of my shows have a mission, and the the mission is similar to to educate listeners about American history for the reason <laughs> to to use it as a mirror of, uh, in our modern age. And and for that reason, you know, there are seasons in in history tellers, there's seasons in in scandal that really speak to me. The entire purpose of Wicked Game was to tell our listeners that um, this political moment uh, that we were in uh, coming up to the, to uh, 2020 was so not the was first time we've had a problem, right? <laughs> not the first time. No, uh, it's been horrific and and sometimes just as violent and repulsive. And we need to remember that if 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 only just to to get some some sense of uh, consolation or, or you know, yeah, yeah. that that, uh, that it's OK. You know, we've lived through it before. 1865, even though that's that's scripted, um, I think is very important because it really tells the, the story of Reconstruction, which is just a forgotten era in American history, which is bizarre because it sets up the next 150 years. We are still fighting those battles right now yeah. with, uh, I mean, race relations and voting rights and, and uh, poverty, and, you know, and equality. Uh, these are all issues that might have been solved if things had gone a, a little differently in 1865. Well, look, I, I know you don't call yourself a historian, but knowing how deep you went into 1865 and, and that period, do you think things would be drastically different if Lincoln hadn't been assassinated? Oh, there's no reconstruction would have been a totally different deal. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, because mainly because Johnson wouldn't have been pre- president. Right. Mm-hmm. That was that was the uh, the moment that uh, that the South got in back in to the halls of power, perhaps too quickly and with too much too too little price to pay. Mm-hmm. Now, I think. It was just a horrible moment. I mean, what do you do with with uh, one half of the nation who was previously at war with you and you, you want to bring them back into the fold? What what did happen was a just a collapse of of the effort. Uh, it got too hard and there weren't enough people holding on to to the mission of of the civil war and and it's and the early reconstruction period grant came into you know too late and he was undermined he was not a great politician i think it would have been completely different if we had a solid solid lincoln administration with uh, maybe a successor or a third term and and johnson wasn't there to to introduce the first chink into the armor mm-hmm. yeah well and when you look at the last I mean, listen, part, part of our goal here is, um, you know, we, we want to see media doing more to, to be uh, edifying than destructive, right? And, and we know that media can be used for, for harm or for good. And, and so we talk to people on both sides of the political spectrum. But without question, I think we can all agree the last five years have been different. They've been unorthodox, to say the least. When you look at the, the recent history of this country, especially in the last two um, what period of time do you liken it to based on the work that you've done and the other periods you've covered? What do you look back for, for a, for a proxy? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not a great analog, but probably the end of our last war, you know, a, a large war, Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, 68 to 74, that, America was, was Mess. tearing itself to pieces. Yeah. And um, we, we had violence in the streets. We had real problems with with uh, equity and equality and uh, economics and we didn't have a, <laughs> a pandemic but there were there was more than enough to go around it was it was a hard time and i think this was the the one of the first moments in which america was as polarized as perhaps we are today when when we knew that there were definite sides it wasn't just democrat or republican but you know it it was it was the the yippies and 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 the hippies and uh, the reds and you know like just everyone had a, a tribe, um, and and some of them were anti-American. So yeah, I would go back to that that period. Sixty-eight to seventy-four was rough. 
Okay. And if you were going to prescribe any content that you've created across all the different work that you've done for somebody that's trying to make sense of the time we're in, is there one that you've done that covers that specifically? We did do a series, a crossover series with Legal Wars, the trial of the Chicago Seven, mm. um, which is a look at that particular moment. Uh, the Netflix film was great, too, by the way. Yeah, I was going to um, ask what you thought of that. You know, Sorkin's just great at, at this sort of storytelling, even though it's, I mean, it's, he takes license. Every, uh, sure, um, sure. But, but honestly, I would, um, I would also go to Wicked Game because... Uh, it touches it. You know, it's a, it's a four every four year survey of the entirety of American history, and so if you started uh, and just found those, you know, the 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 death of JFK, and then listened through LBJ to Nixon, you would get a good idea of how much this change, you know, this nation changed, yeah, yeah politically, socially, economically, you know, the whole the whole gamut. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's talk just about the industry for a minute. I mean, you've been involved for, I'd say, the the key part of the podcast industry's history, uh, where it's really come into people's consciousness. It's really gone mainstream while you've been in it. What do you think is the current state of the business of podcasts as you see it? Well, yeah, I mean, just even the th in the three or four years that I've been doing it, it's completely changed. I think it's universally recognized that there's been a, a professionalization of, of the industry. Yeah. I think um, uh, that's demonstrated all over the place. Just, just I mean, I, I personally can't get away with some of the stuff I got away with in the early days of, of oh, you know, we can, we can let a, a release date slide a couple of hours and, and we'll post it tomorrow. The effort and, and money it takes to launch a new show successfully – Mm -hmm. is re has completely increased you know probably tenfold mm -hmm. um i mean the the idea that that my first show history tellers hit number one on itunes for no good reason back in in 2018 it, that would not happen today mm. and so i'm lucky that that i started when i started you know business movers came out just uh, this year and had an enormous marketing budget behind it so certainly you know multiples of, of history tellers and uh, it didn't scale the charts like like history tellers did for a variety of, of different reasons but yeah it's just harder it's n there's not just more content available there's always been so much content but now there's so much good content yeah it's very hard to 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 rise to the top and there there also seems to be some warring formats you know the 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 chat interview show uh, is very different than the narrative stuff that I do, and there are some people who still only think about podcasts as people chatting at each other, and um, you know. So I think there's still remains a, a large amount of education in the listeners uh, in the listeners' ears about what a podcast is or can be. But yeah. the state of the, the state of the industry in general, even though it's harder to to get a hit, it's it it's all it's done is is just gotten better, and uh, it seems to still be growing. Other than a few hiccups with with Apple recently, everything's been moving up. Yeah, and when you look at the importance, I mean, of course you have to have a good product, right? But how how do you make a podcast successful? in this day and age with so much competition is, is marketing. Can something be successful without marketing? What are the keys as you found it to make something actually reach people now? Yeah, that I things don't, are I mean, they are. I think if there was an answer for that, I, I, I would be much more wealthy than I am. Discoverability remains a problem, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's so many platforms. And even as, as they have new platforms have arised, giant ones, you know, like Spotify, mm -hmm. there's become this the balkanization of, of your attention for marketing. Mm -hmm. Not only do you have to, to have to market your show on other shows and perhaps on social, but you have to market to the platforms. And there's four or five of them you have to pay attention to. And and and. Uh, the fragmentation of your attention is, makes it very difficult. Can you do it without marketing? Probably not. I mean, not yeah. not intentionally. Yeah. You can't yeah. say that I'm gonna. I've got a great show and it will become a hit. If you build it, marketing. they will come. Yeah. It yeah. I mean, work. like, 
uh, there are you know natural freak phenomenon <laughs> that that happen like that, but you didn't yeah. plan them. So if you're planning yeah. a successful podcast, you have to plan for marketing. There's there's just no way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And have you found anything to be as effective in marketing as advertising in other similar podcasts? I don't think so. I haven't been on top of all the experiments that Wondery has tried, for instance. Sure. Um, and I, I know they're doing testing, as, as everyone should be. But it does seem that right now, especially, uh, the, the easiest place to get podcast listeners is on other podcasts. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the marginal utility of your next advertising dollar, if you spend it, spend it elsewhere, is probably less than yeah. if you spend it on a podcast. Yeah. Well, and the team at Wondery really mastered that. I think they created a template for the marketplace to follow a long time ago. Uh, and they just then they figured out how to make hits, you know, same yeah. way as, uh, as a movie. You, you show trailers in a theater that happens to help. OK, so let's talk a little bit more about the shows that you've got active right now. Can you give us a little rundown of what your current projects are? Sure. Um, there are three weekly shows right now uh, running. So uh, American History Tellers and American Scandal. And then the newest one, Business Movers. 1865 and Terms, the two audio dramas remain up and available. But Terms is probably defunct. And 1865 is uh, is waiting for uh, momentum behind its next season, which may happen sometime. American Elections Wicked Game, I guess, is on, is on a three-year hiatus until the next election comes around. That was a, you know, a 59-episode limited series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you can always go and, local. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, there, was, there was some thought about uh, investing. I mean, we've had elections of all sorts. There's, you know, congressional elections and local elections that make, make the difference. But in the moment, though, the decision for me was uh, it wasn't the same mission, and um, the effort could be applied better maybe elsewhere. And when when you make a show, you you must have a formula for quality. Can you take us through your manufacturing process, at least at a high level? Yeah. So we let, let, let's talk about business movers. I guess because it's the most recent one, and yeah. uh, and one that that I actually have the most editorial control over. So this is done in conjunction with Wondery, but my company Airship actually at this point, it, it uh, does the content as well as the production. Um, so we come up with a list of topics, hooks that um, that we propose to Wondery, and they come back to us with their recommendations. And their recommendations are based mostly on marketing concerns, how they can uh, tie things to other podcasts or dates on the calendar, or just things that they've learned in general from from how to market shows, especially new ones that are you know six eight months old. So we will get uh, a blessing of a, of a of a topic calendar from them, and then we then the the writing starts right. Um, my my partner Steve Walters has written many of them. He's the I guess the executive content producer for for Business Movers, but we've hired writers out, um, contracted them. It, it starts with an outline. Um, we know that we'll probably do about four episodes uh, minimum of any one topic, and we know that there's a format to the show. There's a five minute intro and two 15 minute you know, Act One and Act Two, and then a ten minute Act Three, and we have word counts. And um, you know we also know that. This show is very narrative and, and uh, character driven. So we have to identify who the characters are and what the theme is and how it's going to pull together in a three act structure across an episode. So pretty quickly, an outline comes together. The outline is is done in the midst of the research pro uh, process. Then the writing starts. And um, thankfully, we've gotten to the point where I almost always receive a finished script. Early earlier days, um, there have been times in which I'll receive a script and it is uh, it is not ready to air, and that's frustrating for everyone because mainly I won't know it until I'm in the middle of narrating it that I don't understand what the hell's going on or or I suddenly realize that Act Two is completely bonkers and needs to be restructured. So at this point, I I um I really I will receive a script and I'll just open it up and I'll start start narrating. I've never read it before; it's cold, and I actually like that now. As opposed to reading it, editing it, rever you know, revising it, sending it back, getting it uh, back, because I become I become the first listener, mm. even though obviously I'm also narrating at the same time. I'm listening as 
uh, our listeners might. And so I understand when the story gets bogged down or gets confusing or is in the weeds, and I can fix it. I improvise all the time oh, wow. in, in the scripts, rewriting, you know, small things, but, but most of them are, 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 are streamlining and getting the flow. You know, it's something I ask for all the time. Like, what's the flow? Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing worse than just a litany of facts, a book report, you know, being read aloud to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we need we need the compelling flow of time and character to to wash over you, and um, and that's what I look for when I start narrating. And after you, that, do, question: Do you have a ratio of how much of the time should be spent hearing dialogue versus any other background? Well, I think you, you you know most of my shows have these reenactment bits that right. that you're probably referring to. Yeah, and so th- those are short, you know, f- five eight hundred word interludes, and there's probably four per per episode. Mm-hmm. They certainly do have their own formulas, and I do not like interjecting narration when dialogue can carry it. Mm. I think if you're going to be in a in a reenactment moment, then you should rely on the reenactment and not so much the the narration. But exposition gets difficult there. Yeah, it's it's an art. I mean, like we're we're screenwriting at that point. You know, it's no longer just an academic exercise of telling the story through through historical narrative. Now we've dropped into full on character development and and stuff that that many other writers don't have to, to think about. But we have to know quickly what what characters' motivations are, who they are, what uh, what what is the the tension. What is the, the, the compromise they seek? And it all has to be done in, you know, seven sentences, pretty much. So yeah. uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah. But um, there's no fixed ratio. Have you found that any of the principles for creating content are transferable over to the ads that you are involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So ads are, 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 are a, a, a similar creative ex- exercise. You know, if if we strip out the, the mandatory copy, right? You know, like the, yeah. the stuff yeah. that that the client just has to have in there. Never heard of it. Um, no, yeah. Uh. Um, and and go into the stuff that that uh, that the client really wants the host to provide. The, the, the um, it becomes an exercise in in miniature storytelling. It's the same thing. Who's the character? What's the POV? What's the, you know, the, the conflict? What, what's the problem that's going to be solved at the end of, of this conversation, this 45-second, this 60-second conversation I'm having with, with uh, my listeners? And, you know, my shows are narrative. I'm, you know, kind of a, a, a voice of God. You know, I, there's not a lot of my personality. I don't talk about my cats or what I had for breakfast in the middle of the podcast. But I might in the ads if it serves the p- purpose of telling telling a story. I also might tie it to content that that's in the the episode if it's a baked in ad. You know, it doesn't really make sense if. So I, I'll I'll try really hard to tell a small story, you know, and or 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 draw upon an anecdote that is universally applicable. You know, I I I, I was writing ads all day today. And I, I, I don't know, uh, I even forget who, who it was, was for. But the idea was everyone has stubbed their toe. And this is a problem because it hurts like the dickens, but the pain goes away, right? And that was, that was the, you know, the, the small catch. Everyone's stubbed their toe. It, everyone knows it hurts and everyone knows they'll get over it. Except if they don't get over it, then there's a real problem. And that's, you know, we, we lead into real problems, times when businesses... You know, it looks, it feels like this might be something you can get over, but it's not. I don't know. It's just a bad analogy. It was great for the copy, but yeah, yeah storytelling is 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 imperative in these ads. Otherwise, it's just uh, you know, I, I can read bu- bullet points to you and sound good, but I don't know if it's if it's really compelling. Narrative wins. Yes. So, all right, when you create content. There's networks, there's production companies, there's talent. Do you have like an audio signature or how does somebody know that you've got your stamp on the work? Well, other than my my voice, right? I, I, guess, I is there, oh, By the way, is there anything you're involved with that does not have your voice? Yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, my company does the sound design for 
uh, two other history podcasts, uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Lyman's Tides of History, which is on Wondery, and then another one, uh, History That Doesn't Suck, which is an independent podcast. And um, I think if you listen to those, you would you would hear similarities in in probably the rich soundscape. You know, mm-hmm. um, we try very very hard to you know it's overused, but be immersive in our sound design. And um, you know, there, there's there's a certain school of sound design that that's that's Mickey Mouse. Like uh, every action has a has a an accompanying sound. You know, whether it's a boing or a splat um and we tried really hard not to mickey mouse you know Uh we 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 want this to be a a a real 360 soundscape that puts you in the moment and gives you and if it if it's not specific it's at least very evocative of whatever is going on so um i would hope that there's that sort of signature in, in all the stuff we do yeah well, and okay, so there's no um like at the beginning of a movie or the beginning of a of a hip hop song where there's like a, a a signature sound that you have every time, at least yet, so that people can know that this is a Lindsey Graham production. No, 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 uh, no sonic, no you know, sonic ID branding. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you. Okay, cool. And then tell me about the audience. Tell, wh- what do you know about the the people who consume the shows that you make are there common attributes or characteristics well i actually can't tell you about the 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 data because i don't dig into it too much um i've never had to because i'm not personally selling the ads wonderies is handling that for for the vast majority of my shows i do have anecdotal evidence uh, because i interact with listeners all the time on social media and, and and other channels and they are all over the place. <laughs> you know, I don't think that you could um, make any generalizations about who they are, how old they are, what they do. I can tell you that they're alive and and they're listening. Okay. Other than that, there's yeah, there's um there's a, a a deep respect for for history, absolute thirst for knowing more. There's a peculiar in a certain sect segment of listening to things they already know a lot about. And actually, uh, Lindsay, I'm going to interrupt you right now because while we're on the subject of advertising, we need to take a commercial break. All right. Let me talk to you about what the Media Roundtable really is. It's not just a podcast. It's a movement. Negative polarization is making all of us miserable. We've talked about how 80% of Americans now believe that the country is falling apart. And meanwhile, private companies are the most trusted institutions in America, while trust in media has never been lower. And the irony here is that it's these same private companies that actually make news media possible through sponsorship. So the Media Roundtable joins together media and marketers and mobilizes them to promote truth and civility in journalism. We're committed to increasing advertiser support for content that shares our values of clarity, fairness, truth, tolerance, respect, and de-escalation. By the way, you can learn more about this when you read the pledge in full at MediaRoundtable.com. So if you're in media or marketing, you can make a powerful difference in helping to bind the wounds of our fractured nation without compromising your business goals or your brand values. Media Roundtable is here to help by providing resources and support for our members every step of the way. We want you to get involved. All you need to do is visit MediaRoundtable.com and sign the pledge right now. And we're back with Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, it's interesting because I think a lot of times, especially for people that work in this industry on the advertising side, people don't really know what it's like being on the other side of the copy that they're handed, right? And so do you get any type of feedback about what the audience thinks, wants, what they do after hearing the ads? Uh, do you, what's the feedback loop like? Non-existent. I don't. I don't think I've ever received feedback. Every once in a while, I, I, maybe there's a funny ad that I, uh, someone mentions on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. that, that a listener has has given me some feedback from clients. I don't hear a thing. Uh, other other than please redo it. We don't like this. <laughs> um, and, 
And it, what do you wish you received? Do you, would you prefer if you had more feedback? Because I think that's an interesting note. I think I would love more feedback, especially uh, especially the positive feedback, because it tells me what to do next time. I mean, oftentimes these campaigns go on for months and the instructions don't change. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, week after week after week, I'm confronted with the same bullet points and the, and the same you know uh, instructions. And I have to come up with something new, knowing what is uh, was enjoyed by the client or what worked for them would certainly help me replicate that because, I, you know, not knowing it means that I might take a, a giant left turn on my next uh, ad because I don't know any better. I've got to come up with something new. So I might <laughs> I might move away from something that they know works. Of course, it is, you know, it, there's a, a large subjective, you know, a subjective portion to this. And, uh, and one one client's employee may have a very different opinion than another client employee. Um, We've heard about so, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've, I've received completely different sets of, of notes uh, for pretty much the same ad of conflicting instructions. Yeah. On the same copy. Yeah. Yeah. This portion is mandatory and also make it up, make it your own. <laughs> and uh, right, so, right, right. Exactly. But yeah, no, I don't receive any client feedback that is, that is, that is positive and reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah. Most of all, it's just uh, they would like something redone. Well, that's that's an interesting note for the industry. Now, you mentioned earlier you don't, um, at least you're not seeking a lot of the kind of qualitative audience data that uh, maybe uh, the people that are selling the show or buying the show want to look at. Do you though have in your mind what? Uh, 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 the profile of a listener in your head? Do you have an archetype that you're thinking about or a person that you know that you go, I want this person to like what I'm making? Yeah, I I do. It, it's it's tempered by the client because oftentimes, you know, with shows, certainly it shows as, as large as, as American Scandal that the audience is very diverse. This is not a niche show. Yeah. So So what I need to do is think about who the client's archetype really is, because I've got them in my audience. Um, I, I, I know for, for certain. And I know my audience likes stories told in a certain manner. Uh, so that's, that's really what I think about. I mean, if, if it's a business product, I think about the business person who's listening on their commute um, or maybe in the gym. If it's a, a lifestyle product, I'll think about perhaps the younger person who's, you know, listening elsewhere and, and for different reasons. Oh, yeah. And you're talking, you're, you're answering specifically about the products themselves, which is awesome. Um, yeah. What, what about with the actual show? Well, I, th I think, I think it is less to do with the actual show, mainly because, well, the, the audience is really broad. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's, David and their Sally and they're they, you know, they're they're not really that similar. Yeah. Um, now I, I know certain things that that like history teller skews male and scandal skews female, and there's a twenty percent overlap between the two shows. You know some high level stuff, but um, most of the time I'm really just trying to tell a story similar in the same manner that I tell the rest of the story, which is the episode. Mm -hmm. And want to make it as as compelling as uh, you know. I'm trying to beat the skip. Fundamentally, <laughs> that's the, the thing I need to beat the, the you know, 15 second, 30 second skip. And do I succeed all the time? Absolutely not. But t telling the story is, is the way to go. Yeah, for sure. So we were talking earlier about your mission with every program that you do and what that can actually do for people. And so I guess if you could go elaborate a little bit more on that. What do you hope the consequence will be for people in real life when they have listened to one of the, the programs that you've created? Is it, is it that they be entertained, informed, that they take an action? What do you, what's like the, the North Star for you? Well, I, I think I'll answer this you know, personally and maybe controversially. I learned along with my audience quite a bit about American history. And, you know, for instance, I did not know about the Tulsa race massacre of 1921 mm -hmm. uh, until I did a series on it. Uh, there were a lot of things I did not know. And I think like a lot of my listeners, 
after having done it, I wish I had known. Because it, it gives so much context to our present moment. I mean, I think if you if you look at the events of, of the summer of 2020, the George Floyd riots and, and, and marches and uh, the just growing chorus for for racial equity and, and, and reform and police action. It makes so much more sense if you know from 1865 on all the moments in which this large portion of our American populace were repressed. And and it, it also makes me understand better what the, the counter-arguments might be to, oh, why do you keep bringing up racism, you know, or why other people keep bringing up racism. I don't know that, you know, either of those are great things to say. That's racist. Why do you keep calling me racist? You know, that that's usually the end of the, 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 the discourse. Uh, right. But it could be so much more rich and understanding. So personally, I just understand our country better. I understand my countrymen better. I understand everything about America and fellow Americans better. And I can forgive those persons who who are, are too quick to dismiss the complexity and nuance and deep history of this problem. And I'm also able to understand when people can't communicate when their rights are being trampled or when they think it's just a bunch of complaining. They're kind of all valid because they're all ignorant. Mm-hmm. And... And I understand so much better having learned these things. Is there a call to action for my listeners? Not not particularly. But if they go through the same journey that I go through in understanding all sorts of facets of American culture, and it's not just the, the, the hot button issues, it's all of them, then then we couldn't help but be a better country in the years to come. So when you're when you're looking at the news today. I imagine you have a profound sense of awareness that you're reading history that just hasn't been told in, in that way yet. Yeah. Um, when you think about today becoming history, what to you is the most concerning that's going on in the world right now? Uh, well, I mean, history has a, has a, a long horizon, right? Yeah. So uh, even though we've got a lot of troubles... I would suspect it's it's climate that would be the most important uh, chapter in the history books being written 100 years from now. What we did or did not do to address the climate crisis, because <laughs> frankly, none of it, none, none of the other stuff matters <laughs> if we're all drowned or, or scorched. So, yeah, I, I would say that um, it's it's. Highly unfortunate that we've gotten to the place where um, half the country is flooded and the other half is on fire, but it might be necessary to become so so obvious to us that that action is needed. I don't think there's probably a bigger crisis that that we'd, will be written about in the future. And have you done any uh, content yet that you feel really helps people have a deeper understanding of that issue? Probably not. No, okay. um, so we know what's coming. Yeah, one of one of the hard things about having a mission is realizing that you're failing at it. I like my shows. My listeners like my shows, and I think I'm doing a good job. And but there's but there are still problems in the world. I didn't solve it. I didn't. You know, it, a, a, a history podcast did not fix the world, and and it's it's. It's upsetting, honestly. You know, I, I constantly feel that that I need to do more somehow, but I don't really know. So I will keep building shows. I think there's a need for some hopefulness that all of these problems can be solved, but either by looking t- towards the past or looking in the present moment and seeking out the best uh, possible solutions. And um, and public awareness is a big factor in how our politics works. So. Yeah, I, I have not done anything on climate. I probably will, but I'm going to do as much as I can. You know, you say you're failing at your mission. I would, uh, I would challenge that. I would say you're succeeding at your mission. You have not solved all the world's problems and brought the utopia into being. But remember, Lindsay, it's progress, not perfection. So, uh, so, so you're making a positive impact, and I can tell you that as a consumer, as well as somebody who feels very, very good standing behind your work, and advocating for that in the marketing community. 
I think it's it's uh, it's content worth supporting. So I want to ask you about another thing that's going on in the world, which you know we have a particular interest in, which is polarization. What is your perception of how polarized we are today and, and how big a threat is that? I think we're often <laughs> awful polarized. We have been this polarized before. And, you know, we, we kind of already talked about the, the mission of American Elections Wicked Game to kind of demonstrate that, yeah. uh, certainly in the, in the presidential political sphere. Um, we have a peculiar system that 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 leads almost mathematically to a to a two party system, and that then there's not enough room for any other viewpoint other than opposition. You know, we're not a parliamentary system that that has third, fourth parties and coalition governments. Maybe we should be, but that's a different question. Mm-hmm. Is it dangerous? Uh, yes. Are there better systems? Probably. Can we fix them in the short term? I don't I don't know. What is probably most dangerous is that along with our our endemic polarization built into the system is this is this new this new media, this new, you know, I mean, how we collect our stories about ourselves and inform our, our worldviews has been reduced to, well, headlines and um, and improper sources. I don't think that the internet is is in, inherently bad or social media is inherently bad, but what it does do is is make voices that were never loud before much easier to hear. And there's a certain charlatanism, you know, in, in, uh, available, readily available to any consumer on social media. And um, the thing is, uh, we're we're the same animals we have been. We're susceptible to the same things. If if ever you've you've read a book of history and you thought how foolish and inept these people are, so are we. We've not really learned. We're, we just get fooled by different things. And um, uh, I I dismay at, at how easily we take we are persuaded by things that should not be there to persuade us. There, there's a case to be made for for gatekeeping for yeah. you know three network channels and and your hometown na- newspaper and that's it. I don't know that that's a good case, but there was a case <laughs> to be made that yeah. that they had to vet stuff that that it was it was really hard and expensive to get that news into your ears, eyes, and 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 so they had to make really good choices. Um, choices don't have to be good anymore. Well, and so what can our industry do? And what can we do as members of that industry uh, to to um, to depolarize and to help solve some of the problem? Um, yeah, it's a great question. But I, I think, you know, there is a, a certain amount of self-policing that's that's required. Yeah. We're, we're seeing some of that, you know, uh, content warnings and you know, people or, or things being pulled down from Twitter or Facebook and community standards. Right. Um, and and th- that's that's horribly difficult for these giant platforms to to enact. Right, but right. other, pla- you know, other companies, uh, advertisers, content providers, w- we have every ability to to police our own content and make sure that that things said or or uh, are published are are true and constructive. To the best of your ability, I think if you had a a, a code of conduct, a, a a a set of ethical rules for your content, for your advertising, then then you could and and really thought about it and be yeah. conscientious, then we could be better citizens, uh, better content citizens. I don't know what the larger solution is, but there's 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 a lot to be said for for self reflection and just setting your own boundaries. Indeed, and and um, good news. Uh, to share with you and anyone that's listening that that kind of hasn't heard this already but you know if you go to mediaroundtable.com you can see that we are on a path to to doing just that as we speak it's a work in progress right but we are trying to help put forth a, a series of standards that should apply to different genres whether it is news or opinion driven content to help advertisers know what good should look like and to have some some ability to to have a lens on all of this user generated content that's not being provided right now so they can make sure that they're supporting content that aligns with their values and th- and that's what we're we're really trying to work on here so 
Uh, you have been a, a great part of um, doing that anyway. Nobody's had to police you. And I, I do believe that you're not only creating something that's informative and entertaining, but I believe it's a service, what you're doing. What can you share with us about uh, the next chapter for, for Lindsey Graham and the work that you are doing? What can we expect from you down the road? Well, apparently an a, a environmental podcast. Um, yes. <laughs> now, well, the, the answer is, is more podcasts. Yeah. They won't necessarily be hosted by me. They won't necessarily be history podcasts. I think um, there is uh, a deep desire of for me, as I've expressed, to do more in this space and expand, expand my reach. Um, and um, because it's it's influencing people and, and hopefully influencing people for the good. So I would want to do that as much as possible. I think you'll probably hear Airship as a brand more and more coming up. Um, we've been kind of a production house label for for a long time, but we'll we'll take more ownership and of of that brand and, and hopefully people will recognize it and we'll take the opportunities that, that present themselves. And, you know, certainly podcasting is a, is still a young medium and uh, there's a lot of growth to go both in listenership and how the form uh, evolves. So I'm excited to, to be part of that and, uh, and however I can, you know, lead the charge. Well, and you're doing you're doing a great job at it. If people want to uh, follow you and stay up to speed on everything that you're creating, not just now but into the future, what should they do? Right now, the best thing to do is probably follow me on Twitter. Uh, that, that's the the place I live socially. Uh, that's uh, Lindsay A. Graham, Lindsay with an A, middle initial A, and um, I'm pretty responsive there. It's a it's a nice little community of of listeners I've got. Uh, yeah, I don't have a newsletter or anything of the sort right now, mainly because I'm too busy podcasting but um yeah follow me on twitter because uh i ask listener questions and i get i get a lot of ideas from listeners i always enjoy interacting with listeners and uh, if you especially if, if you have a story about listening to a, a particular season or episode that that touched you or moved you or made an impact um i just i just love to hear it well thank you Lindsay. thank you for what you do and for spending this time with us and as always, this show is dedicated to advancing our mission of mobilizing marketers to promote truth and civility in journalism. We value clarity, truth, fairness, respect, de-escalation, and tolerance. And we invite you to engage with us at MediaRoundTable.com. And if you found the show helpful, you're committed to our cause, please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen. It's always free. And if you're a marketer looking for support to live this out, you can get in touch with our agency, Oxford Road, by visiting OxfordRoad.com and subscribing to our weekly newsletter, The Influencer. Special thanks to Bianca, Kyle, Jennifer, and the team at Podcast One. And as always, influence responsibly. 